0: Whoever does not believe God has made, him a, has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the this, this Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Have you, have you ever been at a place where you were supremely overconfident? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you just still slightly overconfident. Or, or maybe just hoping to be confident. I once worked in a, a larger church and there was a young lady who was getting ready to be married. And she was excited about it, and we happened to be in the mailroom kind of talking about what was going on and what was coming up and what was happening, and she mentioned that her husband-to-be really didn't want a, a traditional groom's cake, but instead he wanted cheesecake. And I said, oh, cheesecake, yeah, I love cheesecake. And she goes, oh, really? And she goes, I'm trying to find somebody who can make cheesecake and do it for us. And I said, oh, I can make cheesecake. And she goes, really, you can make cheesecake? And I said, Paige, I would love to make cheesecakes for your wedding. It would be awesome to do it. I would really enjoy it. And that would be my gift to you. And so how many cheesecakes do you think that you need? And she said something like eight or nine. And I thought, great, no problem. Eight or nine cheesecakes. were a few months away. Got this. So I went home and I told my wife, hey, for a gift, we don't have to worry about anything for Paige and Sean, because I'm going to make their cheesecakes for the groom's cake. I'm going to make them all. And she began to ask some questions. I see a question over there. What's a groom's cake? Yeah, all right. So there's the bridal cake. That's the beautiful, white, usually, multicolored, multilayered. And then some people have cakes for the groom because they don't want them to be left out. It's not enough that they're getting married. They need their own cake. That's, well... That's non-American to share, so we don't do that. Now that I've explained culturally what was happening, sorry about that, I went home and my wife began to ask me questions about said cheesecake manufacturing. The first question she asked me is, have you ever made a cheesecake? And my answer was no. She said, do you know how to make a cheesecake? And my answer was, no. She said, do you have anything that needs you need in order to make those cheesecakes? And I said, no. But we have two months. It'll be no big deal. I'll get it figured out. She continued to watch me over those two months, wondering and waiting for when I would actually attempt to make a cheesecake in order to assure myself that I could make them and that on the day of the wedding, those cheesecakes would be edible and good. Now, she was kind because she didn't nag. She didn't say, are you making a cheesecake today? Have you thought about making a cheesecake today? Do you have the things to make those cheesecakes yet? Although it might have helped if she had done that, because the week before, I still had not attempted to make a cheesecake. I didn't have anything that you needed in order to make those cheesecakes, including the springform pans that are vitally important for that. But I was still supremely confident that I would be able to make eight cheesecakes that would blow the minds of all in attendance. I began to do some research, and this was a little bit before it was easy to get online and do the Google searching, and so I had to do a little bit more book work in order to find it. And then Shannon stepped in graciously and found some springform pans for me from some friends. I think we had two, maybe three, and I needed to make eight and i got the ingredients and i began the process and i made 8 cheesecakes i had to make a little raspberry coulis to put on top of it because there was some cracking <laughs> but that raspberry coulis was awesome and so it covered up the the cracks but it also tasted lovely and when I went and took them to the wedding party, which I just realized I was not actually invited to the wedding. Hmm. I might need to track them down. I presented my cheesecakes. The men and women and one John here were not confident at all. See, what was going on in that church is there were people that were telling them they don't know Jesus, they don't know God, they're not sure how to relate to God, and only those with a secret knowledge, only those who followed the way that they followed God, were the ones who were true believers. And so many people within that church had no confidence whatsoever. They weren't sure that they were actually following Jesus correctly they have been pushed down. And so for all of these chapters that we've been going through, John is leading to this place where he says to them this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. He's saying, look, they're letting you know that the world is infiltrating you, that it's taking over, that you're walking in the way of the world. And John is saying, no, that's not accurate. That you actually have overcome the world. Now, we know that that's not that sense of military might overcoming the world. As we've looked at it in the book of John, as he's talked about it in this letter, it's saying that there are systems within the world that are trying to drag us away from God's purpose that we've been created for and that we, in fact, have overcome those systems. There's no reason for us to be in bondage to them anymore, that we've been set free. That's what he's saying again here. You have overcome the world. But then he adds this qualifier. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. Not your actions, not the things that you're doing, but your faith. So what is it about this faith that makes it a faith that gives supreme confidence? What is it about this faith that that puts us in a place of overcoming? Well, the first thing that we recognize is that it is who the author of faith is that's important. It says this everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And so, what we see first is that this faith that overcomes is authored for us. The person that began it, the one who brings it forth, is God Himself. That those who are born of God have believed, and that God is the one who has authored that belief, He's the one who's made it possible. So it's not about us necessarily attaining or gathering all the right knowledge. See, because that was the thing that he was battling against here. This belief that we have the right knowledge. It's saying, no, you've received this. It is written for you. It is made for you. You've actually been born into it. So think back to your birth. Do you remember it that well? No, not at all. You had nothing to do with it. You were just screaming. Sometimes that's the way it is with our faith. It's so hard for us to grasp that we have no control over it. That we're not the ones who are going to make it better. That we're not the ones who originate. That I just don't believe enough. That might be true. You might not believe enough. But your faith is authored by God. And there is nothing lacking in it. That's why it's overcoming faith. Because He is the source of it. So on any given day, when you're not quite feeling it, or you don't think maybe I know this well enough, understand you've overcome the world because the faith that God has generated for you. So that's the first thing that we recognize about this faith. The second thing that we recognize is the object of the faith. So it's not just the originator of the faith that's important to us. It's also the object of the faith. And that object is Jesus Christ. It says everyone who believes what? Jesus is the Christ. That's part of what our faith is. And then he goes on to say this. What is our faith? It is that that overcomes the world. It is our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who what? Believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then just to make sure we have it right, what Jesus it is, he goes into this sort of testimony, understanding of what testimony is. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are these three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. There's about five Well, there's more than five, but five commonly held interpretations or understandings of what that water and that blood are talking about. Some believe that it's birth, the water that comes from birth, when the water breaks in the mom, and then the blood at crucifixion. Some think that it's baptism, water of baptism, and some think that it is then the Last Supper. So these sacraments that the church holds, these things that we do that God has given us, that Christ has allowed us to have in order to know his grace and receive it. What I think probably works best, and those aren't necessarily wrong, they're just an understanding of it, is in context he's dealing with a group of people who have said that Jesus was a man And when he was baptized, the Christ came upon him. And then at death, after, the Christ left, and he was just a man. And so what John is saying here is, no, we hold the incarnation is from the beginning of the world until he comes again. And that in that, to show it when he was present, was baptism and death that we see the water and we see the blood. We see his baptism where God comes down as a dove and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And we see the cross where God says, my love is so big, so amazing, so self-sacrificing that I will give all of who I am in order to bring you And he says, that is all of who it is. And then he gives us the spirit to remind us over and over again of what that fact is. That Jesus is the purest, most complete understanding of who God is. And we see that in the incarnation. And so he says to us, this is the Jesus I'm talking about. Not the Jesus you've heard about, not the one that fits all our stereotypes, not the one that fits what our belief system wants to be, but one that is so beyond understanding, one that says, I am completely man and completely God. I'm the one who has come and I was baptized in historical places and I died in a historical place and I rose again. That's the Jesus that we believe in. So, this faith that overcomes comes to us from God in Jesus Christ. But there's something else that this faith that overcome does for us. And it reminds me of a song that I used to sing as a little boy that said, same song, second verse, a little bit louder and a whole lot worse. Because again, we go back to obedience and love. Again, John moves us back to an understanding that this faith that overcomes takes us to a place of obedience and to love. Have we heard that before through this book? He says, look, you are the ones who believe, and in believing in Jesus Christ, then you obey his commandments, and you love those who have been born of God. You love. And then he says this, and this is the verse that all of us want to go, really? And his commandments are not burdensome. You know why I think that we hear that and we go, John, I'm not quite sure you know what God's commandments are. It's because we put our own understandings, our own commandments on top of God's commandments. It's happened since the beginning. And the garden, he says, I don't want you to eat of this tree. And when tempted, they say, we're not supposed to eat or touch that tree. We like to add things. That, that's what happens to us is we want to be extra special, extra careful, extra precious, because we want to make sure we don't step off the wrong path. And John says they're not burdensome. Why are they not burdensome? Because they fall back in line with what Jesus said, that God said in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and numbers, that, all of the commandments are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That it's within that that we recognize when we move into obedience of who God is that it calls us to love. And when we begin to love, it is not burdensome because love propagates love, which brings more love and understanding. It causes us to begin to love ourselves better and love others around us better. And so it's not heavy. It becomes not a place of don'ts, but a place of do's. Too often we see God's commandments as don't do this. Don't do that. But God calls us to love. When we see in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, those are not saying don't do these. What he's reminding us is that love of God and love of others is primary. And that those things that we don't do are just outgrowths of those actions that we do of loving God and loving others. And so this faith that overcomes is one that leads us to obedience. And one that leads us to love. But that's not all. It also leads us to life. At the very end there it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in the Son. That's how it's read here. That in is not necessarily present. It is the life is the Son. And whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now that can sound very exclusive. And we can hear it with our ears and go, what what is going on here? And what he's saying is this, is that we have to know the Son. Because in the Son is life. Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But sadly, too often is we set that up as a barrier. We set that up as a blockade. We set that up as a way to say, you're in, but I'm out. Or I'm in and you're out. But what we see here in John is he says that Jesus is life. And when we hear that Jesus is life, it should be an invitation for us to build bridges more than building barriers. It should be a place for us to say, if in fact knowing Jesus puts me in the middle of who he is, and in knowing Jesus it gives me life, then I can't help but want to share that life with everyone I encounter no matter where they're at at this current moment in their journey with God. That it's not a place that I set a line and say, i got to get you over this line. It's a place where I go over the line and come to you and greet you in the love of God and the love for who you are. This life expands so far and so great because who is it? It is Jesus, who is all that God is who's shown himself completely in that. And we see Jesus always pursuing, always going, always stepping out, always pushing, always prodding, always confronting, and always comforting. And so this life that we're called to is one that steps into that place where we can honestly say, I love God loves you and that is the faith that overcomes that is the faith that shows the world that your systems of division, your systems of separateness, your systems of hierarchy, your systems of labeling don't matter because the love of God pursues all to welcome them in let me pray for us Father, You are good. And all You do is good. We thank You for pursuing us in Your love, giving us a faith that is beyond anything we could have ourselves because it comes from You. And in that, there are times where we don't understand it, but You make it clear that it is in Christ who we call out to. Thank You for saving us. Let us love others as you have loved us. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing a song in response?